Beloved congregation of the Lord, will you read with me again Genesis 48 and verses 15 and 16. Actually, we'll read verse 14 as well, 14 to 16. And Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it upon Ephraim's head, who was the younger, and his left hand upon Manasseh's head, guiding his hands wittingly, for Manasseh was the firstborn. And he blessed Joseph and said, God, before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac did walk, the God which fed me all my life long unto this day, the angel which redeemed me from all evil, Bless the lads, and let my name be named on them, that the name of my fathers Abraham and Isaac, and let, their, let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. Well, children, I bet that you could tell me a lot about the story of Joseph. Joseph, he's certainly one of my favorite people in biblical history. You know, don't you, that this man, Jacob, he had 12 sons. What a big family that was. And and Joseph, he was the favorite son of this man, Jacob. So much so that he gave him a special coat of many colors. And there was something else about this Joseph. He had some dreams, some dreams that weren't just ordinary dreams. They were sent to him from God. And Joseph, he would tell his brothers about these dreams. And he even told his dad on one occasion. He told him about a dream in which he saw the sun and the moon and 11 stars bowing down before him. And his father told him to kind of knock it off, that he was making his brothers angry, and said it was a ridiculous thing to imagine. He said in Genesis 37, verse 10, that he he rebuked Joseph. What is this dream that thou hast dreamed? Shall I and thy mother and thy brethren indeed come to bow down ourselves to thee, to the earth? Well, Jacob, or Israel, as he's also called, he couldn't imagine a scenario where the family of Joseph would be bowing down before him. But I bet you you know the story. You know how those jealous brothers, they threw him down into a pit, and they sold him into a slavery. They convinced his father Jacob that he had been killed by a wild animal. And that wasn't even the worst thing that happened there in Egypt. He worked hard, and the Lord was with him. But a woman lied about him and got him thrown into jail. But even in the jail, the Lord blessed this man, Joseph, and used his gift for interpreting dreams to interpret the Pharaoh's dream, the king of Egypt. And he was so thankful For what Joseph did through the grace and spirit of the Lord, that he made him prime minister over all Egypt. 
He received the Holy Spirit in order to predict a terrible famine that would cover that part of the earth. They'd have seven years of plenty to store up all their food and prepare for the seven years of terrible famine and drought. And then his own brothers, the same brothers who betrayed him, they came to Joseph begging for food. And after putting them to the test, seeing if they were really sorry for what they'd done, he revealed himself unto his brothers. He was united to his father who came all the way here to Egypt. An amazing story. We see, don't we, in the Bible that God works through families. He doesn't work through perfect families. There is no perfect family. Read the book of Genesis and read about all the problems of these families with whom the Lord worked. And you come to this conclusion, the Lord can use even our own families today for his own glory. This is a very precious portion of scripture that is before us. It said in the book of Proverbs, a good man leaveth an inheritance to his children's children, to his grandchildren. And the wealth of the sinner is laid up for the just. A good man is distinguished from a sinner, you see, because he leaves something behind even for his grandchildren to enjoy. The godly are concerned not only for their own well-being, but for the future generations. And the greatest of inheritances is not only when it comes to material things or even family traditions. No, the most precious inheritance is the Lord's covenant blessing. Jacob is dying. He is dying. He is dying in this land of Egypt having received amazing promises from Jehovah his God, that he would be separated unto the promised land, he and his children after him as a special people unto the grace and favor of God. And he, in these last hours of his life, he is lying down as his son Joseph comes into the room. I wonder if he thought about that dream. There he was, lying down in the presence of his son, this one who had the authority of prime minister or governor over the land. He tells him, I didn't even expect to see you again, and now I see your children here before me. He gives this blessing to the sons of Joseph. These two sons born unto him, as the children of a a woman who is the daughter of one of Pharaoh's high priests. But Joseph has apparently converted this woman, and, and now you have these children who didn't grow up with this grandfather at all. They're probably in their 20s at this point. And they kneel down, and they kissing his hands and, and weeping at the sight of their grandfather. And he's acting, you see, as a, as a prophet of God, filled with the Holy Spirit. He blesses them, particularly according 
to the measure that the Lord would have him to bless them. He even crosses his arms under the Holy Spirit's inspiration to give the younger what should have been the blessing of the older according to human reckonings. He is sovereignly, as a minister of the Lord, giving this covenant blessing. John Calvin observes there's something similar to any gospel minister. For we as well administer the blessing of God unto sinners. As we preach the gospel and administer the sacraments, the gates of heaven are opened and shut. Open to the repentant and to the believing, shut unto the unbelieving and unrepentant. But this man Jacob, he is not giving this blessing on his own authority, nor does a gospel minister, but only upon the authority of God. Now this blessing, which we see here, is one that was very famous throughout the history of the Lord's people. Note that, don't you, on verse 20. And it says, And he blessed them that day, saying, In thee shall Israel bless, saying, God make thee as Ephraim and as Manasseh. So the point there is that throughout the rest of time, this was to be a special blessing that you would give to one that you love. You would say, May the Lord bless you as he blessed Ephraim and Manasseh. According to a Jewish document called the Targum, This was especially a blessing that would be given to sons. One would lay their hands on them and and say, God make you as Ephraim and Manasseh. Of course, it was the daughter. They would say something different. They would say, God make you as Sarah and Rebekah. So the, the wives of Abraham and Isaac. But when I study this blessing... What I see here is it's a blessing that we should all covet. We should covet it, yes, for our covenant children. But for all of us, no matter who we are or where we stand spiritually today, this is a blessing which speaks to all of us about what the Lord is pleased to do for sinners. And so I'd like to open up these words for a few moments this morning considering the covenant blessing given. The covenant blessing given. And he blessed Joseph and said, God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac did walk. This blessing in the first place, it concerns the fathers of Israel. Israel's fathers. There was Abraham called by the name Abram originally, called out of Ur of the Chaldees. The Lord said, I would make unto thee a great nation. And called him and said that he would be a God unto him and to his children after him. He's saying, walk before me and be thou perfect. The covenant God unto Abraham and unto Isaac, these patriarchs, so essential in the history of the Lord's people. And of all the the rest of the families of the earth, 
given to idolatry, false worship, and the ways of the devil, the Lord in his mercy chooses this family to be his church, the family of Abraham and Isaac. And what a precious thing that the child which we were just about we just saw baptized, takes his name from one of these fathers of the faithful. Every believer in God, according to the book of Romans, according to the book of Galatians, is a spiritual child of Abraham. We trace our faith back to them. We trace the promises of the gospel back to these wonderful promises given unto the patriarchs of old. And so it is that this church of the living God is characterized by this grace from generation unto generation, passed from father to son, father to son. You see, it's especially in the Bible that the father has a unique role as the spiritual leader of a home. It's the father, you see, who has the name that all the family takes. It's the father who is the one called upon to, as it were, set the legacy, set the, set the tone of the family, whether it will be in the ways of the world or in the ways of God. And of course, we understand, don't we, that no matter how godly a family may be, no matter how godly parents may be, we can never give our children a new heart. It's not the case that we are mediators before God to our children as though God communicates his grace through us. No, there is one mediator between God and man, the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet what a precious means of grace that is when that mediator, the Lord Jesus, directs a father and a mother to raise their children in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. Isn't it the case that we see the Lord calling his elect people through these family lines? Yes, for, for all the Isaacs, you can also have Ishmaels. For the Jacobs, there are also Esau's. There are believers and unbelievers. And yet, the promises of the covenant, they are also signified and sealed unto the entire visible church. And while we recognize that that is not what saves, not merely being part of the visible church, let us never talk down to what a great grace this is. Let us never value it less than what it truly is. That the Lord Jesus Christ has come so close unto us He has said, I would be a savior unto you. I would cleanse you not only from the external pollutions of water, but from the internal pollutions of a guilty and a polluted heart. I would forgive your iniquities and remember them no more. I would make you white as snow. This is what it truly means to be a man of God in the context of our families, that we walk with God, that we have our heartbeat as attuned to the heartbeat of God as a creature possibly can. We attend to the words of the scriptures 
as the rule of our home. And we are a family that is set apart unto pleading for his grace every day, knowing that not one of us, whether a father, a mother, a son, or a daughter, can do our assigned duties apart from the grace of God in our homes. This is how this man, Jacob, begins his blessing, by pleading to the God of his fathers. Let us also, congregation, plead to the God of our fathers. We follow not a new God, but a God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The God who is saved from generation to generation through the one covenant of grace. And so today, if we will hear his voice and harden not his hearts and believe upon his Savior, we can have the very same salvation which the fathers of old enjoyed which the godly relatives that we can look to also enjoy today. Let us covet earnestly. Let us desire fervently the grace of God to be at work, not only in our families, but each one of us personally. But it's not only covenant blessing given to Israel's fathers, but to Israel himself. You see... How is it that any one of us could pray for our children if we were not ourselves inheritors of this grace? How is it that we could ask that the Lord would work in another person if we don't ourselves have a personal relationship with the Lord? Israel, or Jacob here, speaks as a prophet of God, yes, but also as a man like any other. We follow his life and we see that he was prone to to terrible sins. We see in his life that he was prone to the same temptations and weaknesses that we are. And yet he could testify that he had also received the blessing of this God. Notice how it goes here. God, before whom my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, did walk, the God which fed me all my life long unto this day, the angel which redeemed me from all evil. Now, a striking thing here, the object of his prayers, the one he prays to, he speaks about it also as God and the angel. How do we account for that? Well, You know, don't you, that throughout this book of Genesis, you have a special messenger, a special angel that is sent from God, which is what an angel is, one who is sent and who is also receiving worship and receiving prayer and speaking as God. How do we account for that? Well, it is a revelation of the Holy Trinity. The God who is prayed to is both Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the Son of God, even before his incarnation, was at work in history as the mediator of the covenant, revealing the will of God, and especially unto this family of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Remember, don't you, that... The twin brother whom Jacob betrayed by the name of Esau was pursuing him. And so he was so terrified, he separated his family into two groups and and was there in the darkness alone. 
And all of a sudden he began to strive and to struggle with a stranger in the darkness. Who was it? Well, as he struggled and strained and as he, he wrestled, he came to realize that this was none other than God himself with, with whom he was wrestling. And this wrestler, he wounded his leg and, and, and as he collapsed and grasped onto his attacker, he said, let me go. And Israel said, I will not let thee go except thou bless me. And he said, what is your name? He said, my name is Jacob. Your name shall no more be called Jacob or a deceiver. For now on it will be called Israel. For you shall have power with both God and man. The angel of the Lord. This angel of the Lord whom, whom, whom Jacob knew personally intervening in his life, the very same Savior whom we call upon today, our blessed Lord Jesus Christ. And you notice there's two aspects of this blessing he received from the Son of God that he particularly focuses upon. He says, this God fed me all my life long unto this day, and he also redeemed me from all evil. These two things, providing for his needs and warding off dangers. The two roles, you see, of a shepherd caring for his sheep. Indeed, the word for feed here is is, uh, typically used as the language of of a shepherd feeding his flock. So it's used, for example, in Isaiah chapter 40, Verses 11. Let me read verses 10 and 11. Behold, the Lord God will come with strong hand, and his arm shall rule for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his work before him. He shall feed his flock like a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs with his arm, and carry them in his bosom, and shall gently lead those that are with young. You see, you see, this man Jacob is a man of faith. He recognized that he deserved nothing, that he was a sinner who did not deserve even to live. And yet the Lord of the universe, his creator and his God, even his savior and mediator, he had provided for him all his life long. Have you come to that place where you realize that everything you enjoy, every blessing, whether food or drink or family or time, it's all coming to you from the hand of a gracious God? Have you come to see that it is this one who cares for you, not only in body, but also in soul? We look at this dangerous world in which we live. Dangers to our children from this direction and that direction, particularly spiritual dangers. How is it that we can expect to raise our children into a world such as this, so filled with evil and hatred and sin and pollution? Well, only this one who not only cares for all of our needs, but also who wards away every danger. You see, my friend, you need the Lord Jesus Christ as the shepherd of your soul. 
You need to be able to confess, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. To have the Lord Jesus as your Savior means that everything works together for your good and your salvation. Nothing can befall you except by his permission. No temptation can entrap you, which is greater than the resources he provides can free you from. No sin that you commit can separate you from the love of God because his blood and death they interpose for you, shielding you from the wrath of a righteous judge and bringing you into the fellowship of his saints, into the family of God. Do you know this Savior? Do you know the Lord Jesus personally? How foolish and awful it is when the Lord Jesus would address you and would willingly be such a God and Savior unto you to both protect you from all danger, both for life and eternity, to provide for your needs both in body and in soul, and you to pull back and say, I will not have this Savior. Will you not cry out, with the words of Lamentations 3, verse 58, O Lord, thou hast pleaded the causes of my soul. Thou hast redeemed my life. If you cannot plead that today, then you must, you must plead that he would make it a reality for you. He is willing to redeem. He is willing to save. Psalm 103, verses 4 and 5. Who redeemeth thy life from destruction. Who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies. Who satisfieth thy mouth with good things. So that thy youth is renewed like the eagles. Children, will you hear me now? Will you hear me? You are never too young to know this Savior. Because you are never too young to need this Savior. You need the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one who can protect you. He is the one who can guide you. He is the one who can keep you safe both now and for eternity. For you are not too young to die. And because you are not too young to die, you need one who can carry you through the dark valley of the shadow of death, their home to eternity. You need the Lord Jesus Christ. He is willing to have you. You must believe upon him, trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you shall be saved. For you see, how could any one of us, whether a father or a mother or a grandmother or a grandfather or Anyone, how could we love our children if this was not the most important thing? That they receive this blessing as well. And so it is, you see, that, that Jacob, he refers not only to his fathers and to himself, but also to his sons, to his sons. And he blessed Joseph and said, Before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac did walk, the God which fed me all my life long unto this day, the angel which redeemed me from all evil, bless the lads and let my name be named on them. And what does that mean? Let my name be named 
on them. Well, you read the whole chapter and you read it carefully. What you come to see is that what is happening is each one of these grandchildren are actually being adopted as his sons. Out of these two sons of Joseph, what the Lord is doing through Jacob is he's making them both sons of Israel. So they will be two distinct tribes. You see, this family is no ordinary family. They are the patriarchs. They are the foundation of these uh, tribes of Israel, which are to inherit the land and to inherit the promises. And the special blessing given unto these two is that they are to each have a stake. It was the special privilege of the firstborn, you see, to have a double portion. And so as Joseph is now taking on that role as the firstborn, according to divine appointment, so also both of his sons are treated as having an equal share in the nation to come. And so look at as it says, Bless the lads and let my name be named on them and the name of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. You know, it's striking that it was this episode, this event, which the apostle who wrote the book of Hebrews reflected upon as the most important thing in, Abra- in, um, in this man's life. Hebrews 11, verse 21, By faith, Jacob when he was dying, blessed both his sons of Joseph and worshipped, leaning upon the top of his staff. This is held forth as that special act of faith. There are all sorts of other things that the author could have recognized in the life of Jacob. It was this, his faith in blessing these boys. For think about it. There they are in Egypt. There they have all the pleasures that Egypt can provide. There is Joseph, the prime minister of Egypt. Riches beyond anything that they could imagine. And yet here you have this dying father calling the prime minister of Egypt into exile. Calling him not to be content with the pleasures of Egypt, but to be content with the promise of God in the promised land. The promised land, which was especially a sign of the world to come. That's what the apostle of the Hebrews especially notes. Verse 13 of chapter 11. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off. And were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Verse 16, but now they desire a better country that is in heavenly. Wherefore, God is not ashamed to call to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. You see that land of Canaan was a sign of the heavenly country, the heavenly city which is the lot of all those who truly believe in this Savior God. Is that really what we are yearning for? Not a little bit of pleasure, a little bit of happiness in this life, but the immeasurable happiness of the world to come. 
when every tear is wiped away and we behold the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, where we may worship and glorify him without sin. Do you know that there is a place for sinners there? Sinners who will confess and believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ, confess their sin and trust with the heart upon him. There is a place for you there if you will believe. And that is what we desire. That is what we must desire. If the things of eternity seem so dim in comparison to the concrete problems of this life, all the struggles, all the worries, Look upon this old man, dim of eyes, in his final moments, who can expect and know that the Lord will fulfill all his word, both to him and to his children. Here is our hope also today. The very same God who spoke thus in the days of the patriarch speaks also today. So my prayer for you and for me and for our children is this. God, make us as Ephraim.